Good morning. Christmas is a season of both old and new, right? Every year, whenever we pull out all of the decorations, we sometimes get sentimental about those uh, little ornaments that perhaps we bought for our child's first Christmas. Or it can be about new when we plug everything in and realize half the lights are no longer working. And, uh, and then we go get more. And uh, that is usually the start of Christmas. But of course, Christmas morning is about old and new uh, to some extent for many of us as well. When I was a kid, uh, my parents used Christmas as a refurbishment opportunity for my school wardrobe. Uh, that meant that along with interesting and fun things, I got necessary things like the big 12-pack of white tube socks, uh, since all of the ones they had bought in the fall were already somehow yellow and full of holes. And so I usually got a, a new pack of those. I always got a new uh, pair of very stiff blue jeans, right? Uh, back in the day, if anybody remembers the tough skins, uh, I'm not sure that the jeans themselves were tough skins, but if you wore them, it toughened your skin uh, because I'm not sure that there was any softness uh, to those at all. And why? Because mom wanted to get rid of all the old jeans that had ripped to shreds and uh, usually by Christmas, shockingly with growing children, were too short, too small. And that's the way it went. But this Christmas, as we finish Galatians, I want us to think about old and new in a little bit more comprehensive way. Notice that at the end here of Paul's letter to the Galatians, when he is writing in his own handwriting, very big and bold, so that people who are reading it can see that he is trying to underscore his main concept he has this very interesting line in verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The Apostle Paul is saying here at the end, I need you to remember that when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, what he has done and how that should affect you, we are really talking about an old creation and a new creation. We are talking about something that is passing away and something that is new and that has come. And he wants them to remember that that's the theme of what he has been telling them. And so that's what we're going to do here as we finish this book together is I first want us to consider uh, the old creation. I then want us to consider for a little bit the new creation. And I want us to look at the new blessings that come in the new creation. So that's what we'll be doing this morning. Uh, we'll first be thinking about the old creation. Let's think about it. We're very familiar with the old creation because it's the one we're born into. It's the one we live in. It's the one that we work in, go to school in. It's the one that is the air, if you will, that we breathe. And what is that? Well, the old creation is, first of all, about the roles uh, that we have been given. 
You notice here he says, for uh, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. And while many of us uh, look at those words and we say, well, that is a reference to a medical procedure that's done to little boys uh, shortly after they're born, what in the world does that have to do uh, with the way I think about myself? But, but we need to understand that in the first century when Paul is writing this, These two things are indicators of where you fit in the broad scope of humanity. You know, are you one of those people who are not circumcised? In other words, are you just a normal, run-of-the-mill person there in the Roman Empire? Are you just part of the mass population? Or have you actually gone through that medical procedure And are you identified as a specific group of people, one called and set apart by God, the people of Israel? You see, this is what these things were marks of. For us, we might see them as simply a parental choice made for male children. But here in this context, it's about identity. It's about the role that you are born with and into. And I think that's helpful. I was uh, listening to a friend of mine a few weeks ago preaching out of an Old Testament passage, and he began to talk about identity. And I really felt like this resonated with this concept of how the old creation works. He said, our identity is formed in, in two primary ways. The first way our identity is formed is our sense of self, how we think about ourselves. And the second aspect of identity is our sense of worth. You know, what do we bring into the world? And that, that identity is formed uh, traditionally in the way we see ourselves in terms of the roles uh, that we sort of inhabit or embody in our life. And you say, well, what kind of roles? Uh, well, let's think about it. A role like being a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a child or a worker, all of these are roles. And in traditional society, those are not things that you chose for yourself, but those were things that were just part of where you were born and into which family you were born. And that was just the way it was. And that's the way we thought of ourselves. So I know it may sound like a strange thing to people in 2023, but if you were to ask people in the first century, you know, explain to me how you view yourself. And they would have said, well, Uh, You know, I am a Corinthian, I'm a man, I'm a a worker, Uh, you know, I am a farm farm worker, and uh, that's pretty much who I am. Why? All of those things were things that person did not choose, but they were simply given. But we have the same way of thinking today. Think about the ways that we naturally think about ourselves in terms of the roles we're given. Uh, How do you describe yourself uh, ethnically or racially? You know, we get asked that question. It seems like every time we, you know, try to buy milk at the grocery store, please fill out this survey. You know, how do you identify yourself? You know, are you, you know, do you, are you, uh, you know, what ethnicity are you? How do you identify yourself racially? And in many ways, that's the way we think about ourselves. That's the old creation way of thinking about it. That I am a product of my DNA, you know, which of course I had no control of. Or perhaps we think of ourselves in terms of our gender. I'm a man, I'm a woman. And this is the way I think about myself. 
And whenever I think about that, I think about it in terms of what all the expectations are on people who are a man or a woman. And we say, well, that's, that's just who I am. Uh, many people this year, I know we're getting to the end of the year and I'm not recommending it, re- recommending it but uh, there was a movie uh, that was, as far as I could tell, an attempt by Mattel to get little girls playing with Barbie dolls again. And uh, in it, it really is asking the question, you know, what is a woman? What is a woman? And if you will, the whole movie is about how to deal with this role that you were born into. How do you think about it? And in the middle of it is this long speech about all of the contradictory pressures that are on women. And it's very fascinating. And again, I'm not I'm neither recommending nor not recommending it. I'm just using it as an example. Four of you have seen the movie, so you know what I'm talking about. But all the movie is illustrating is that we think of ourselves in this way. That's the old way of thinking of ourselves. You know, what, where am I from? Who are my people? What is my gender or what is my role in society? Am I, am I a leader? Am I a follower? Am I a manager? Am I a worker? You know, am I a teacher? Am I a student? And we think on those things. And all of these things are legitimate. But what Paul is saying is, look, these things that were the primary markers of who you are are all part of the old creation. He says, it doesn't matter. Notice he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision Uh, makes any difference. It doesn't matter. It's not what's important. Why? Because they belong to the old creation. And you say, Chris, you're jumping up and down on this. What is the deal? Well, really, this is Paul's way of referring the people who had heard his letter back to what he said in Galatians chapter 3 in verse uh, 26 through 28. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, don't you remember? It's a way of thinking old creation thoughts that we primarily are thinking about ourselves in those roles that we were given. But of course, that's not the only way we operate under the old creation. It's not just that we think of ourselves simply and almost exclusively in these roles, but another aspect of evaluating ourselves and who we are is how I feel about who I am. How do I feel about who I am? Now, uh, I don't know about you, I am a somewhat, somewhat excessively introspective individual i.e. it is not uncommon for me at all uh, to sit there having a conversation with you, thinking all the while, how am I coming across in this conversation, right? Isn't that terrible? Am I, y'all are very quiet. Am I the only person who does that? You know, is my hair okay, right? You know, which glasses am I wearing, right? You know, whatever, I, I'm just... You know, should I have said that? Have you ever had that happen? Somebody's actually talking to you and they're like three paragraphs in to whatever it is that they're saying to you and you're still trying to remember whether you used the right vocabulary word in the last sentence 
uh, that you gave, and, and we can be like that. See, how we feel about ourselves is the way we think about our identity and the old creation way of thinking. But there are two primary ways that we see that manifested. We see it manifested, first of all, in terms of an evaluation of our performance. In other words, I feel good about myself when I'm performing well, and we talked about this some last week, when we said we tend to boast in things like our performance, but the first way we, uh, that affects how we feel about ourselves is how well are we doing? You know, did I say the right things, do the right things, get enough sleep? Has my smartwatch told me that I've moved enough, slept enough, stood enough, breathed enough? That one, I don't get that at all, right? I first got one of these watches that, that you know, annoys you throughout the day, right? And when I first got it, a little thing would come on and say, breathe. And I'm like, what do you think I've been doing? Right? I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation if I wasn't breathing, right? But we get to the end of the day and we close all our rings or we fill the tube or we do whatever your smartwatch or smartphone tells you and we feel like that was a good day. Or perhaps we grew up in church and in church traditions and we feel good about ourselves if we actually spent 30 minutes in prayer or reading the Bible and we say, well, I feel good about myself because I've ticked the box for the day. When I was a kid going to church, we would have Sunday school and that's where you gave your offering. Uh, for those of you who don't I will translate. Sunday school was this thing you did before you went to church where you got a sermon before the sermon. It was great. We call it communities here and we do it after. So it's completely different. It's completely different, right? But whenever I was a kid and I would go, they would, on the envelope, there was a little checklist. There was literally a checklist. You know, offering brought. Well, clearly check. I have the envelope right here. Bible brought. Check. I'm Baptist, for goodness sake. If you have a Bible drill, you got to have a Bible, right? You know, you know, prayer, check. You know, I mean, it literally had a checklist, and I liked it. I guess little Southern Baptist boys and girls needed to know how they were performing. You know, I have checked all the boxes. I prayed for the missionary. I did all this. I didn't hit my brother this morning. It's all good. And that's the way we think about ourselves. We, think of, we feel good about ourselves when we're performing well, when we get that paper done or we do well on that exam or we get that promotion or we get that Christmas bonus or we get that, uh, you know, we get ranked up, you know, whatever it may be. And we feel bad about ourselves when we don't. And Paul says that's an old, way, old creation way of thinking. And the other way, and it's very closely related to performance, we feel better about ourselves when we are better or doing better than someone else. Comparison is another way that we feel good about ourselves. That's part of the old creation. I don't know how many of you say this, but I have certainly heard it uh, many times. As you may ask someone, how are you doing? And, and people say, better than most. And, and that may be true, but think about what you're saying. What you're saying is, as long as most people are doing badly, I feel very good about myself. In other words, as long as there are plenty of sick people, I feel good about my health. As long as there are plenty of people who are immobilized, I feel good about my mobility. You know, and it's like, isn't that the worst way of thinking about ourselves? But that's an old creation way. It's connected to performance, but it's slightly different as we think about ourselves in comparison. 
So how do you feel about yourself? Well, I feel good about myself because I'm better than someone else. You know, I'm bigger, I'm taller, I'm or thinner and smarter or whatever it may be, I find something that I, I feel better than someone else about. And that's an old creation way of thinking. And what Paul says, being smarter or not being smarter makes no difference. Accomplishing more, accomplishing less makes no difference. Getting the promotion or not getting the promotion makes no difference. Getting the Christmas bonus or not getting the Christmas bonus, it makes no difference. Getting Dean's List or not getting Dean's List, it makes no difference. When it comes to our relationship with God, there's only one thing that matters, and it's the new creation. He says none of this matters. It's all part of the old creation. Instead, what counts? What counts, he says, is a new creation. So let's talk about that. We talked about old creation and many of you are sitting here thinking, don't we all do that? And the answer is yes, we all do that. We all struggle getting beyond the story of our heritage, ethnically or racially or our gender or our position in this world. We all struggle in, in feeling better just because of our performance or because how much better we're doing than other people. But Paul says there is another way. There is a new creation. And, you know, in a way, I love that this point came up so close to Christmas. Because Christmas is the beginning of the new creation. You see, Christmas is the end of the old and the beginning of the new. It's why we put so much weight and energy and money into Christmas. Why? Because the world changed because of Christmas. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, born in that manger to change the nature of reality. When Paul uses this expression, the only thing that matters is the new creation. When he talks about this, he's thinking about it in three ways. And I want us to think about those. The first is when Paul uses this expression, it is an eschatological expression. And I'll, and I'll explain that. I just like using that word. How often do you get a chance? Right? Secondly, it's an existential reality. So it's eschatological, it's existential, and thirdly, it has to be experiential. So when Paul thinks about the new creation, he's thinking about it in these three different ways. First of all, he's thinking about it eschatologically, and you say, what does that mean? I'm telling you, Christmas party season is here. Eschatological is a great Christmas party word. Someone says to you, "Here's you say, use it in a sentence, here it is. You're at the Christmas party. Somebody says, how's your Christmas going? And you say, well, how could it not go well? I just love the eschatological nature of it. And they, they nod their head. And they, because if they're part of the old creation, they feel worse about themselves because they don't know what that means, right? And we're not trying to make people feel bad about ourselves. We're trying to see, help them see that they can be part of the new creation through faith in Christ. Anyway, so what does it mean? 
Eschatology is the study of the end things or the end times. And many of you grew up in churches where you, you think that means charts that explain how and when everything's going to happen. Uh, but biblically speaking, eschatology or the study of the end times, uh, it really is about the advent. You see, that's the season we're in. The advent is the arrival of God in this world. It is the coming of the one who created all things into the world that he created. And when that happened, the end had begun. And that's the way the Bible understands the history of the universe and of humanity is the end of that story began at the birth of Jesus. And what Paul is saying when he uses this expression, new creation, he says there is an old way, a pre-Jesus way of thinking about the world, but that has to change when God says the times they are a-changing. And he comes in flesh in the person of Jesus because that's the beginning of the new age. The new creation begins with Jesus. That's what Paul understands. So when Paul says new creation, he means this new reality that has come into being because of the presence of God in this world through Christ. It is eschatological. And so when the Bible talks about everything from the time Jesus is born until the time that everything is made right, that is called the end times. So when you say, you know, I think we're living in the end times, you are right. And your parents were right and your grandparents were right and your great, great grandparents were right. And your, all of them were right. All the way back to the church that we read about in the book of Acts who were living in the end times. Because from Jesus' birth to his coming again, we are living in the end of history. And the New Testament is looking forward to the consummation of all things. Just like we should be every Advent. As we look not just back at when that end of the beginning, or beginning of the end, excuse me, actually started. But we look to when it will finish. And when the pain will stop and the disease will never be heard of again and death will be undone. That is the new creation. It is eschatological, but it is also existential. We really see that over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I want you to think about this. It's one thing to say when Jesus came into the world, it was the beginning of a new creation. And you can kind of nod your head and say, yeah, if God comes into the world in the flesh, then, then sure, the, the world has changed. It fundamentally is a new era. But listen to what Paul is saying. If you have been united to Jesus by faith, you become a part of that new creation. Listen to what he says. That anyone in Christ is a new 
creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Paul couldn't underscore it anymore. He said the reality is when someone puts their trust in Christ, when they receive the gift that God has given them in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, when they receive him by faith, they are no longer part of the old creation system. They become a new creation. A new creation. That's why the Bible uses language like John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Well, I, I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with that language. If you lived in the 70s, you know why. And people are like, they, they get uncomfortable even sometimes today with the concept of born again Christian. The reality is, is that's a redundancy. The only Christians are the born again variety. Because to be a Christian is to be a part of the new creation. And the only way to be a part of the new creation is to have a second birth. It is to be born again. And that's what Paul says. It has to be existential. It has to change the reality of who you are. Of how you think about yourself. So yes, in the old creation, I primarily thought of myself in terms of my ethnicity ethnicity or my race or my gender or my position or about how well I was doing or about how much better I was doing than someone else. But in the new creation, I recognize that I, by the grace of God, have been made new and a part of a new and eternal reality called the new creation. I am not what I was. I have been changed. That's what Paul wants the Galatian church and wants you to understand. Stop living like you're part of an old creation, which when through Christ you have been made part of the new creation. It is such a beautiful thing. It changes how we think about ourselves. Now, let's be honest. It changes how we think about ourselves in our good moments and our best moments, right? You know, it is when we're sitting here in church singing beautiful songs about what angels sung and thinking about the glory of God through Jesus Christ that we can begin to feel like maybe we are a part of a different population that can be more explained as a whole other creation rather than what we're familiar with. And yet in the middle of the week when our kid wakes up at four in the morning instead of five in the morning and they seem both to be unhappy and happy at the same time and we're sleep deprived it's hard for us to remember we are a new creation because it sure feels pretty old to me and the beauty of the truth of God's word is that's where meditation comes into play yes I am still Burdened, if you will, by all the trappings of the old creation as long as I live in this in-between of the already and the not yet of the end of all things. But my truest identity is not what is old, but what is new. Yes, I might be a sleep-deprived you know, mom at 4.30 in the morning trying to find what that child will eat and be quiet with. But I can sit even in my heart and remember that this is just one of the many places where I can bring new creation reality and the patience that I show this unhappy child. Or in the grace that I reflect 
that has been given to me when I wasn't doing so great and when I was so poorly able to be comforted. You see, new creation changes the way we think about ourselves. But thirdly, it's not only eschatological, it's not only existential, it has to be experiential. That means it has to actually touch your everyday life. It has to make a difference in the way you wake up, do your stuff, stay in relationships, all of that. Listen to how Paul says it here in our text. He says in verse 16, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Notice this expression, all who walk by this rule. What does he mean this rule? What rule is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the rule of the new creation. And what does that word mean? Well, the the word rule is like a straight edge. Uh, Sometimes it could just be a cane. It was a measuring rod, if you will. When he says this rule, he means that if you are a new creation, there are expected to be manifestations of that new creation in your life. He actually uses this same expression that we should walk according to it when he says that earlier that we, in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep by the Spirit. That's uh, chapter 5, verse 25. And there he was saying, look, if we have this new reality of the Spirit, then we walk according to that new reality. Here he says, if we are a new creation and we're part of that in in time story and we have been changed in terms of our existence, then it should be manifest in the way we actually experience life. It, It needs to be the way we're actually talking and thinking and acting. We should be walking according to that new creation reality. I love it. Uh, He is uh, determined to help us understand this. If you go back to chapter 5, verse 6, again, this is is a beautiful summary of what Paul has already said. So let's look, look back. He used a very similar expression about circumcision and uncircumcision there. He says in chapter 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. In other words, there Paul is saying, look, it isn't about that old creation reality. What matters is that because you have accepted the gift of God through Jesus Christ, you now have a new power working in you because of the spirit in you, because of being part of the new creation. And it expresses itself through love. Faith inevitably expresses itself through love. Why? Because you've been changed. And so here when Paul says you walk according to this rule, he's saying it experientially makes a difference. It actually changes the way I think and talk and act. Why? Because the Spirit has changed me through faith in Christ. And he continues to work on me in a beautiful way. Isn't that a great thing to be meditating on? Some of you will even have a little time off. Some, some kids are already out of school, I know. Others of you have to go through Wednesday because your teachers are harsh taskmasters. 
Sorry about that. I know they're different districts. They all get out at different time. But, but time off is coming. And for all of you who work for the government, which is a good chunk of you, you inevitably saved up your time till the end of the year. So with just three days off, you can take like nine. You know, I don't know how that math works, but I'm, that's fine. Good for you. For the rest of you who are off all the time, then you have plenty of time to think about this. How do I see the new creation reality in my actual life? How do I see the Spirit moving me and motivating me to think things that are glorifying to God and helpful to another person? How do I feel the Spirit propelling me to say things that are edifying and true and loving to other people? How do I experience the Spirit nudging me and encouraging me to do things that put the needs of, of the other above my own? Now, I realize that you'll have time off to think about this and to practice this, but as you do it, you have to do it this way. Now, I'm not giving you a, a rule. The rule is the rule of the new creation, but here is a way. How about that? Let me be very clear. It is a way to think about it. Start with this question in your mind. If Jesus Christ has changed me because I have received him by faith, how, as a new creation, would I think in this situation? How, as someone in whom the Spirit is moving, would I act in a loving way? How would I acknowledge that what I have said is not a new creation statement, but an old creation statement? And how can I have the opportunity to repent and to step out in faith into speaking to that other in a way that reflects the reality of who I am and not the reality of who I was? You see, this is called repenting and believing. I'm just saying it a different way. I know. For those of you who come every week, you're like, he says this every week. Exactly. And when you all get it perfect, or when I get it perfect, I'll stop saying it. Which means I'll always be saying it, right? This is what Paul is saying. As he closes off, he's saying, look, is, this, is the new creation really the dictating principle in your life? Because if you're part of it, it, it is. If the Spirit is in you, you walk by the Spirit. If you have faith, then it's expressed through love. He said it in so many different ways. And here he says, I want you to be blessed in it. That's really the third, the third thing. Along with new creation comes new blessings. I love it how he says it. Notice back in verse 16. And for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy... And then verse 18, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. May that be true. He mentions three things which are the blessings of the new creation. And I'm going to take them slightly out of order. The first is mercy. May, may you experience mercy. And I, I think this is a good one to start with because mercy implies that God is overcoming something about us that he could easily judge us for. 
or condemn us for, but instead he's giving us mercy. When you ask someone for mercy, you're acknowledging the fact that you don't deserve a kindness. You're asking for one in spite of what you deserve. And he says, this is a blessing for those who are part of this new creation, is that they know they are recipients of mercy. I know that's not necessarily a big Christmas thought. We don't come into Christmas thinking, boy, I'm glad I can celebrate Christmas again because of the big sinner that I am. But the reality is that's exactly the way we should think. The first blessing of the new creation is that God doesn't give us what we deserve, right? I know that's our instinct. Our instinct is to say, I just want what I deserve. Never say that. Because the Bible says that if you don't perfectly live into your created purpose, if you don't reflect his glory and character, if you don't obey what he says, what you deserve is judgment, death eternally. And I say, I don't want that. I don't want that. I, I, I want mercy. I, I want you to be nice, even though I deserve you to be mean. I, I want you to, to, to provide for me rather than you allowing me to continue in my need. I need mercy. And so this is what Paul says is a benefit of the new creation is first, when you're part of the new creation, you know you're the recipient of mercy. God's not going to give you what you deserve. You're not going to face the displeasure of God or his judgment. Why? Because he has given you mercy. And isn't that a delightful, delightful truth? Yes, it offends our pride, but boy, let your pride be offended rather than stay in your sin and rebellion against God. Enjoy the new creation blessing of mercy. But secondly, he says that in addition to mercy, uh, there is peace. Peace is with God and with other people. He says part of being a new creation is that you're okay because you know you're right with God, that he loves you. When you're part of the new creation, you know that when God looks at you, he looks at the perfect, successful obedience and righteousness of his son Jesus. When he sees you, he sees a perfect record. When he sees you, he sees only someone he loves and delights in and rejoices over. This is the beauty of the new creation, is that we are not just kind of getting along. I know, I know. At the holidays, sometimes we are with family, sometimes immediate family, sometimes extended family. And be, to be truthful, the relationship is tense, right? I'm sure it's not true for any of you. But for some of us, we're there, and the best we've done is just stop arguing, right? We're just hoping, you know, it's usually a mom who says, look, I just want you boys to get along, you know. I just, can you just sit at the dinner table together, for goodness sake? And, uh, and, and it's so awkward, isn't it? Because we don't really like that relative, and that relative doesn't really like us, but we're sitting there with, you know, placid grins on our face, and we're like, I can take anything for two hours. And of course, somebody just, all they heard is two hours, and they, they're looking over at the person next to them going, wait, did he say this was going on for two hours? No, I'm talking about your family dinner. Okay. And you're like, well, I guess I can get through it. I can endure it. To be honest, I think many of us live like that's how God thinks of us. Like we show up here on Sunday morning and 
God tolerates us for an hour, hour and a half. You know, we pray and God's like, yeah, good try. I mean, you know, you get an A for effort. But I'm, I'm out of here as soon as I get the chance. That's the way we live. But Paul says the blessing of the new, new creation is peace. Not, not a forced peace, not a strained peace, a complete and perfect peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, he wants people to experience his grace. Grace is unconditional favor and love. Paul says when you're part of the new creation, you live in a world of grace. And that world never ends. Your life is characterized by, if you will, walking around, being embodied by the reality of the grace of God. He will never tire of expressing his love and kindness to you because his grace will never end. He says part of the new creation is that you can know you have grace. Grace. Now, of course, if I'm experiencing grace, it tends to ooze out onto other people. When I am recognizing that as part of the new creation, grace is my inheritance, then I tend to be glad to share grace with as many as are around me. Why? Because I'll never run out. Because it is infinite in its supply. Paul says these are the blessings of the new creation. And don't we want those? Don't we want this Advent season to be characterized by mercy, by peace, and by grace? Paul says, then remember, you are part of the end of all things, and that has changed who you are. Repent of those old creation pathways of thinking and acting and embrace the reality of the new creation through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we're thankful for your kindness, mercy, and grace that allows us to be at peace with you. We pray that during this season that two things will be true for us, that we will live in the light of the new, being a part of the new creation, that we will see embodied in us your mercy, your peace, your grace, and, O oh Lord, that we will see the new creation being worked out in our thoughts and our words and our actions because of your Spirit working in us. O oh Lord, we pray that we will continue to grow in our awareness, our understanding, and our application of being a part of your new creation. Help us practice it even now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.